most of you, if you were here in our early times we met, we, we gave uh, several hundred of these away to you. Um, if we have a need, we'll, we'll order some more. They're kind of hard to get, and they're a little, it's an interesting little book. But anyway, it's called The Handbook to Prayer. And I probably have literally received a dozen emails in recent weeks about, thank you for that little book. It's been so helpful. Uh, it's getting me uh, to pray a little differently. And what I wanted to do, is, Cindy and I use this in our morning devotions, and I told her, this is two weeks ago, I said, you know, I don't know how many people read the preface of a book. Let's, how many of you read the preface? I mean, I see you're godly people. Um, prefaces are so important because it tells you why the book is being written and until you understand why the author has put this thing together it's almost a it's a false start anyway all to say um, in the pages three and four of the little book he explains the the organization of why he does what he does and I thought we would just walk through that a little bit this morning as in a time of prayer Um, he uses the uh, he calls them eight forms and he uses the Our Father, which, by the way, is technically not the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. Because if you remember the backdrop, it's the, they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples. And it's the only thing anyone specifically asked Jesus to ever teach them to do, which I find remarkable. He didn't say, teach us how to do this, teach us how to heal, teach us how to be as great a communicator as you, teach us whatever. Teach us to pray, which is, right? Um, so he, this is, now, now this is Boa's rendering of this passage from Matthew 6 through 9. And it's not the Our Father like you and I would say it, but let's go ahead and read it together in unison. Would you read with me? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So that's the truncated translation he uses. And then what he does in pages three and four is he shows us these eight forms let's look at them adoration confession renewal petition intercession affirmation and a thanksgiving and closing prayer let's go back and look at these one at a time adoration is praise for who god is i think of adoration as always vertical so when you're reading those verses that boa has teased out they're vertical and focused they're adoring god for who he is for his character traits perhaps uh, confession is, is twofold. He defines it as our need for forgiveness. I would also say there's a confessional aspect that we're stating truth that we believe. So it's, it's an acknowledgement that we need sin, but also an acknowledgement of what we believe to be true in the scripture. Uh, one of the verses we sang in the set Shaley chose for us uh, was from Hebrews and the idea that our confession of faith, I call it the benchmark, go back to what you believed and what you put your trust in and why. Renewal is an interesting word that, that Boa coins because you don't really find this in Scripture. But his, his view is as you face new temptations, we need constant renewal. And again, Shelley said it so aptly. How often do we get in these cycles where we sin and we sin and we sin and we ask forgiveness? And so the renewal aspect of the handbook to prayer is, uh, okay, remind God what, what, you, what he's done for us. Know where you are in your relationship to him. Now, re- renew me so that I won't get in the same traps and the same problems over and again and again. Petition is a request for ourself. 
I think this is a fine but very interesting distinction. Technically, he says a position is for yourself where uh, intercession is a request we make on someone else's behalf. And if you think about those words, technically, it's, you know, you're asking for something for you or your family, but intercession, I'm praying for you as you go into surgery or you as you go through a marriage tr- a trial or a divorce or, you know, uh, financial issues or whatever. You're, it's, it's, there's sort of that intercession we're praying for on behalf of others. Then affirmation is agreeing with God. And that, again, tandems a little bit of confession. Thanksgiving is praise for what he's done as compared to adoration, praise for who he is. So when you're being thankful, you're praising God for what he's done in your life. Again, Shaley's comment. Shaley just did this all for me. Uh, her comment, when, when you look at your life, are you grateful for what he's done? Right, have you gone back and said, you know, goodness, I'm here today. I'm alive and well. Uh, my wife, as far as I know, still loves me. You know, our kids are doing pretty well. You know, they're, they're all nailed down. They're not, not going crazy. And, and, and so Thanksgiving is what God has done. That you, that you can, the fact that you got up, you slept in a bed, you probably had some <clears throat> coffee or food or tea or, you know, some organic smoothie, God bless you, and uh, worked your way here in a vehicle. You were probably warm and dry. You're sitting in a room. You're warm and dry. We take all these things for granted, and it's a good reminder just to thank God for that baseline. What has he done in your life? You're here today. I'm here today. That's a pretty remarkable thing to thank him for, that he sustained you and me just to today. And then um, closing prayer is sort of honoring God and tying a bow on it so anyway these are very helpful for me as again I think prayer when we began Stonebridge we said we wanted to focus on exposition on the teaching of the Bible on prayer and discipleship so I think it's incumbent we come back to these basics you know know, this is a football we come back to the basics again and again to remind ourselves what is a church what does the body of Christ look like and today we have quite a different uh, thing in store but with these in mind let's go back uh, Clay, if you would kindly, and let's reread that prayer. Let me ask you to stand. It won't take but just a minute. Let me ask you to stand, and we'll reread the. Let's go back to the the whole the whole uh, Matthew quote. Thank you so much, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. If you don't have the BOA book and you'd like to get a copy, if you'll fill out an info card and give us your contact information, say, I want to get a BOA book, then we'll assess whether we're going to order another uh, bunch of them. How many of us grew up in a, home where you took pens or pencils and when your children were a certain age you drew a line and put a date and a height did y'all do that um, Cindy is uh, her ministry is being a realtor and it's remarkable the number of homes that she'll go into where a family has been there for a period of time and there's a door jam or something where kids have been you know it's different colors pens and markers and it might be a random date usually a birthday and our kids when we lived in our home in Virginia would always you know they the, the bifold doors were right by the kitchen table. So whenever they saw that, they'd want to get up and, you know, see if they'd grown any. And uh, we had families that were like in tears over leaving a door behind when they moved houses. It's just a door jam. Take a picture. Get out of my life, you know. But, well, that's why I wouldn't use that big, oh, you know. Get over it. Uh, 
it's all going to burn, right? <laughs> but anyway, there's, there's this endearing quality to the memories of when they were little. Um, and as Cindy and I watch young couples and have kids and watch them, you know, address the whole, as your children grow, all this stuff goes on. It, it's such an interesting process. At the end of the line, uh, end of the day, children need two things. From the moment of conception, they need time and nourishment. That's it. Time and nourishment. Unless something is, is medically wrong where intervention is needed, all people need to grow is time and nourishment. I mean, it's an extraordinary metaphor for the Christian life. Uh, nourishment is not just the food we consume, and boy, what, a in, what an interesting time we live in about the way we're talking about food. It seems like we've been talking about diets all my adult life, and now with, you know, organic and, and the whole debate about what is really organic, and when I took chemistry, organic meant it was water-soluble. Uh, it's not, it doesn't hold true anymore. It's got to be, you know, whatever it is, GMO, non-GMO, all the kind of stuff, green, keto, paleo, God help us, what's next? <clears throat> Just give me a tube to stick in my arm, you done with it, you know. But you got to have nourishment. You will stop growing, you will stop developing if you turn off the nourishment. But your body has to have time to process that nourishment, right? Um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Any of you have to read the book Emile when you were a kid or in college, Emile? Um, he's a French philosopher. And he wrote in the story Emile the, about a child that goes to the country and is allowed to learn on their own. Just let them learn on their own. Don't put structure, don't put, certainly don't put a Western school model in front of them. Later, a man wrote Rousseau. He said, I followed your advice. My son is a blithering idiot. Now what do I do? This is in the 1700s. Samuel Taylor Coleridge uh, was a British poet and critic, uh, philosopher. He wrote The Rime of the Ancient Mariner. Maybe you had to suffer through that when you were in college or high school. Coleridge was once talking to a family that believed the same thing. Children should not be given any formal education. They shouldn't be given any structure. In fact, there are school systems in our country today that follow this line, that you kind of let the child go at their own rate, their own pace, and discover their own things, okay? Not that they're right or wrong. Specifically, this couple was against formal religious education. Well, Coleridge uh, wasn't going to argue with the, the, the man, and so he invited them over to his home. And you know the English pride themselves in their gardens, if you spend any time in England, especially the northern part of the country. That, I mean, their gardens are a work of art. They spend more time, you know, trimming the hedges and planting and dealing with things than we do. Um, and he showed him, uh, Coleridge showed him his completely neglected garden. Invites him over for dinner and takes him out back and it's completely neglected weeds. And his friend says, you call this a garden? There's nothing but weeds here. Coleridge replies, well, you see, I did not want to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way. I was just giving the garden a chance to express itself and choose its own production. Um, when it comes to child training and nourishment and time, we have to give them the right nourishment. When I was in uh, high school, we did the two rats. One was fed 
Cokes and Twinkies and Cheetos and any junk food you wanted. And the other one was fed vegetables and uh, clean water and maybe a little bit of milk occasionally. You ever, did you all do this when you were? I mean, today, I guess that's politically incorrect. You'd probably, be, you know, PETA would probably burn you down if you did it. But we had, it was a biology class and we had the two rats. And over a very short semester, the one that was just eating the junk food looked um, nappy and slept them lethargic and gained weight. And the other one was running around in a happy little rat cage. Uh, intake does have an effect. What we nourish ourselves with. In the Christian life, a growing believer, I argue, needs three relationships. Relationship to God's word, relationship with God's spirit, and relationship with God's people. And that to me is reductionistic theology. I don't think you can reduce it down any further. Uh, no man nor woman is an island. No, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. You've got to have some type of God's word, God's spirit, God's people. And we tend to track, if you look at your own personality, you might be more comfortable with God's word and God's spirit or God's people. And there might be sort of, a, you know, one you incline yourself to. I'm more bookish and academic. I'm more sort of spiritually oriented. I'm more relationally oriented. It's fine. I think the three are necessary for growth and guidance. You cannot grow without the right information. You cannot grow without the right influence of that information. And you cannot grow without other people sharpening and encouraging and knocking off the rough edges as well as you know, helping us grow. Again, when we began Stonebridge, we talked about the Bible, discipleship, and prayer. And uh, we want to talk about community a little bit today. Maturity is a pragmatic level, but it's a pragmatic thing, but it's hard to measure. How do you measure a mature person? If we go back to a child and beyond feeding them, we're nourishing them with how to think critically, with hopefully to know God, to study the Bible, the Bible stories. But at some point, I tell parents all the time, your kids are free agents. You really have very little control over them. But you want to nourish them as best you possibly can while you have that opportunity. There will come a time that that compliant child will arch his or her back at you, philosophically, morally, whatever. And all God's people said, amen. You're going to have that. It's going to happen to you. Not your precious kids. Yes, your precious kids. Uh, it will happen to you. And that's the opportunity where that free agent is now saying, what do I believe? This is so important. This is so important that your son or daughter, no matter how old they are, decides what they believe not what you told them. They have to own their own faith. So the free agency is a great thing as that young man or young girl becomes more mature. And then when, when our kids mature, we say, look at how they're growing. They're becoming so mature. They're an adult now. Um, they're here. I don't want to totally embarrass them, but Jesse, my second daughter and her husband, Cain, uh, when they were dating, he came over. I won't go into the whole detail, but he, he brought a bottle of wine to dinner. And uh, after the dinner was over and they left, I told Cindy, I said, he's an adult. Meaning, not typical of friends you bring over to meet the parents for a dinner, they just show up hungry, right? This guy said, no, we got to take them something. And we learned the backstory later, they had a big discussion. We got to take your parents something. No, they have everything, Jesse says. Typical kid, right? They got everything. No, you got to take something, Jess. He's an adult. Maturity can be measured lots of ways. Are we selfless? Are we concerned about other people? Do we have a sensitivity not to talk all the time? Some of us in this room, I'll put myself in that category, could talk to a fence post. One of the hardest things for people that verbally process is to learn to shut up and listen and ask good questions. 
Conversely, people that tend to be quiet, one of the hardest things is to open up. That's why God's word, God's spirit, God's people need to round us out so that we have that opportunity. Every one of us has been in a small group where there's the one person that's sort of the fly in the ointment. You raise your hand. I'm the only one, right? You've had that And you got to love them for Jesus' sake. And sometimes you have to take them aside and encourage them and say, hey, listen, friend, we're so glad you're here. Love you. But there's eight other people in the room. We do this thing in our small groups where we would, uh, I would just call on people, you know, at random. You remember classes when the professor would call the next person and you were just getting ready for your answer? We had a Hebrew professor, and he would jump around the room and make you translate Hebrew and parse verbs, and he would never do the same thing twice. We called it Hebrew roulette. He just kept, you know, shooting us until he killed us all, you know. And uh, I made a mistake one time of getting too comfortable. After he grilled me for about five minutes, I took my shoes off and kind of leaned back in the chair, and he kind of gave me this look. And then he went on and grilled a couple more guys. He goes, well, now, Mr. Easley, since you're so comfortable, would you resume translating? I thought I was off the hook, but he put me back on the spot. You know, so you're, you're looking at a group, and people that respond differently, and your job is to say, this isn't all about me. And the one that doesn't talk, you pull, draw them out. The one that talks too much, say, hey, we, we've heard from Michael already eight times. Let's hear from Cindy. That shapes our view of life, and a person who can restrain his lips is more mature. A person who doesn't say everything they think. A person who takes initiative when they used not to. A person who says, I'll volunteer to do that. A person who has an idea about how to make something better. We're looking for indexes of maturity. In fact, in the New Testament, and it's really hard to count them because the, the phrase one another is used so many times. But I, I just printed out a list of one another's a few weeks ago for our, some of the men and women who are interested in leading and or hosting a small group. And just listen to some of the one another's. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another and brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Do we, do we say, you go first, go right ahead. Be of the same mind toward one another. Owe no, nothing to anyone except to love one Love one another is a common theme in these one another's. Um, accept one another just as Christ accepted us. Concerning myself, brethren, I'm convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with knowledge and able to admonish one another. Uh, Cindy and I have friends that date back 30 plus years and we go to Dallas as one of our treats is to see some of these men and women we've known for so long. And when I meet with these men and women and they're, we're all about the same age, probably Cindy and I are just on a little bit younger scale, um, they have both encouraged me and confronted me over and over and over again. And I, them, probably my closest friend and I in life have had as many, not as many, but it's an equilateral thing. I mean, we, we are willing to say, you're, you're being selfish right now. Or no, this is wrong. And I need somebody who knows me really well to be able to call my hand. As you've heard me, if you've heard me much, I use the phrase spiritual dope slap. That's my buddy Dave Gibson. And he'll listen for a while. He goes, Michael, I got to know enough to know, do you need encouragement? Or I, I need to give you a spiritual dope slap right now. And snap out of this. Be a man, buck up, get back in the game. You have people like that in your life? Those relationships don't happen quickly. Not all of us are staley. Tell me your darkest secret. But, and some don't like the, that's a whole, it's a whole threatening game. I can't get by the one another's in the New Testament. I just can't get by them. The list is too long. 
encourage, admonish. One of my favorite ones is where it says, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. Three times in the New Testament. Boy, talk about taboo today. What's he saying? A warm, affectionate embrace. What was culturally acceptable in the Middle East was a peck on either side of the, of the, of the face. There are dear, dear friends of Cindy's and mine that the only other, you know, other than her son maybe, that ever kissed Cindy after our marriage was our, my friend on her cheek. And I'm cool with that because that's an endearing affection that they have for us and we have for them. And uh, I kiss their wives on their cheeks too. Um, comfort one another with these words. I love Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Boy, the, the, the first class condition, just as you're already doing. Keep encouraged. Do you think you can over-encourage a child? I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible to over-encourage a child. Do you think it's possible to over-discourage them? Critical parents, critical nature. The teachers and the schools are going to do enough of that to your kids. It's a great job. If you're like me and the report cards, all A's and one B, what do you see? He said all A's. I see the one B. What were you doing, sleeping? Come on. You know, you can't say that to a kid. How many of us have said stupid things like that to our children? And they remember them all their lives. Oh, my word. Praise God for forgiveness. 